Hey, welcome to Beyond the Tracks, where musicians draw back the curtain on their own music and let us in on their creative process, stem by stem and story by story. Today's episode is the second installment in my miniseries with Los Angeles-based singer, songwriter, and producer Grant Carey, whose newest album, Future Fright, is now available on streaming services and Bandcamp. So if you haven't listened, smash the pause button on this pod and go have a listen to this beautiful record. But do me a favor and immediately following, come back and listen to our conversation. Here's Grant. Uh, I sort of want to just dive right into some music, if that's cool with you. For sure. Any uh, prefacing notes before we jump into it? I'm I'm just excited for people to hear this one because this one kind of cracks me up. I'm also excited for people to hear this one because (laughs) it slaps. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So that being said, let's do it. All right. Here it is, SpaceX. Yeah, it, uh, this is this feels distinctly like a. Well, I mean, we're only three tracks into this album, and therefore, I, all these tracks are different enough that I think each of them has felt like a departure from the last. But I don't know. This this song feels like it's it creates such a zone for itself. You're like, okay, we, those those first two tracks have taken their space and have taken their time, 
and now we're doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 cool. I got a, a, a sort of general principle question for you before yeah. we dig into this. I was talking to Jordan Dunpills from Toledo last week, and I posed yeah. the same question for him because when I'm talking about music, I, I am a big... Gosh, my instinct was to say I'm like a big context guy, but like who isn't, you know, context <laughs> is just like a thing that people, it just helps people's understanding of information. But I tend to make connections through things that I'm already familiar with vis-a-vis -vis. like in this case, if I'm talking with people about music, yeah. I'll tend to say, oh yeah, this reminds me of this other thing or like, oh, this has got vibes right. of like this other band that I know or this one song or whatever. And that just helps me process. And I feel like in a lot of cases, it helps It helps a conversation keep sparking and, and moving along. For sure. But I realized talking to the artists that making those connections could possibly be misinterpreted as like, what you're doing is not original. I mean, it's kind of a whole tangential conversation in and of itself. But like, if I'm like, oh, I was grooving on this so hard, it, rem it has these vibes. Does that sting more than it compliments to you no i don't think so um i usually yeah i take it as a compliment i think earlier on like last week we talked about the first summer underground record and like i can look back on that and like really hear the influences like really heavily you know um so yeah i mean but that is a something that i think i've worked on mm -hmm. is like i think it's okay and especially now, you know, it's 2021, we've had music for a long time. Like it's, it's harder, I think, to come yeah. up with like original stuff. And, but yeah, I, I think I, I, right now I'm trying to find a, just a balance where like, yeah, maybe you can hear what I'm listening to, what I'm into, but hopefully there's a little bit of individuality. Um, but I also just try to embrace that. Like if it's me doing it, hopefully it's, it's unique in some way. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's sort of an impossible conversation to have, right? Because it's dealing in so many intangibles. Yeah. And and I I also obsessed for the better part of my twenties about this idea of like, what's my voice? You know, what's my artistic identity? What is what is uniquely me? Yeah, they made us think about that in college a lot. Yeah, exactly. In exactly. theater school. <laughs> I don't think that's something that you can really speak on you know anybody for themselves especially i mean there are certain artists who you can sort of speak to oh they have this very certain energy that is uniquely theirs that i can sort of frame in these words but a lot of times it's really more just a conceptual thing yeah anyway okay i just wanted to pick your brain on that question a little bit <laughs> but why why were you asking was there <laughs> because the first something that uh, the first moments of this song are very like like Spandau Ballet to me, like um, I don't know that. Ah, 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 ah. I know this much is true. That that song. Do you know that song? I know Maybe. this much is true. It's an old eighties tune. Damn. Maybe I don't know it. I'll have to check it out. I bet the moment you put it on, you will. Maybe I will recognize, recognize it. it. Yeah. But it's just super vibey. It's it's got these really sharp hits. This is something you're very good at in general, but everything just feels like it has its own space carved out for it. You know, I feel like, cool. um, I feel like as opposed to the sort of Phil Spector wall of sound thing, we're very much in a universe where I feel like I can sort of pick all of the different sounds out of the air. I feel like cool. they, they exist in their own little, little space in their own little bubble. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so it's got like, this this 80s vibey energy in the beginning and then as soon as the vocals kick in it is transformed into uh pop just like pop excellence <laughs> so I, I don't know i don't want to toot your own horn without too much without giving you a chance to speak for yourself what is what was the conception of the song where did it come from yeah so we talked about how I was just in logic making sketch after sketch. Yeah. So this was like the third little beat that I started making. It was a lot slower. I think the original tempo is like 104. And I 
I have that here, which maybe we'll check that out at some point. Yeah. Um, so that was where it was for like, you know, since 2018 or whenever I started. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, th- I had this idea back then that I was going to start another persona named Mollusk. Okay. Which I do have it. There's a young Mollusk out there releasing weird hyperpop music that is me, if you want to Google it. Oh, cool. But Sweet. that was a more recent thing. Yeah. So my decision ultimately was just to start putting everything out under just my regular name and try not to keep making other monikers. (laughs) But I kind of made this under this. I was starting to use like more auto-tune and kind of was stepping into this idea of a persona of an exaggerated version of myself where I could kind of get away with saying, singing about things that I wasn't used to singing about or whatever. And that was definitely inspired by being in LA, listening to the kinds of music we were listening to, like electronic music and dance music. And yeah, I just kind of had a lot of fun, like coming up with these wild lines. And I liked the idea of whoever's singing has a lot of good stuff going on. They're in this loving, (laughs) nice relationship, having great sex. Yeah. And then there's also these lines about like wanting to get on the radio and like, you know, a little bit of like frustration about like career stuff. So it was kind of just like this really loose, like illustration of where I was at in in that moment, just having fun with, with all that. I particularly love that that passage uh <laughs> put this shit on the radio what's a boy got to do to make a music go pro want to see a trick or hear a hit make pots and pans sound fucking rich it's so good <laughs> and and in the context of this like really sexy assertively sexy song lyrically it, it has this energy of this sort of eccentric energy of like two people who are so comfortable and loose with one another that they are having a sexy moment together and one breaks out to be like, this is a fucking thing that frustrates, you know what really grinds <laughs> my gears, you know? And then it's like, they're back into it, uh, which I think is a funny, it's just a funny tangent to, to wrap yeah. up into a tune. Back to this idea that we keep touching on about sketching out all these tunes in one big old logic file. When you say sketch out these tunes, like does that sort of manifest itself in the same way with each tune or does each sketch do you use the sketch approach in a different way like is it all sort of beat driven yeah what what exactly does a quote-unquote sketch on a logic file mean to you yeah with these i think it would start with a beat mm-hmm. and some chords i probably started yeah with, with the kind of beat thing and then found those sort of major 70 chords and then whatever with this song, I don't know exactly why I went so lyric heavy with it, but mm. I just sort of chased that vibe. Did the space sex concept, was that something that you found? Did you start writing and then arrive there? Or did you have that in your brain from, I think from I had line the, one? I think I had the idea of space sex or like the joke of space sex or <laughs> feeling like you go to outer space when sex is great Yeah, in the back of my mind. Yeah. I don't know how that became this song. It, it just did. It was, yeah, just that feeling of like, we're almost there. Like some of this, a lot of stuff is going so great. And then like, there's this other area in my life that I wish I could like step into Yeah, harder as, as far as like being a musician out here in LA. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a bit of, yeah, trying to step into that alternate persona or manifest something. And yeah, I was probably improving a lot with the lyrics. And Do you tend to like lay down a track and then let it play over and over when you're doing sort of melodic and lyrical improv? Or do you, are you playing on, on the keys yourself? Yeah, with this album, I was probably listening to the track or the beat I yeah. made. Yeah. It depends song to song, though, sure. and project to project. But yeah, this this I've definitely probably had that beat playing almost improving ideas, writing down what sounded good, and then like trying to. It's fun with a song like this where there's a lot of text and a lot of rhymes. It becomes like a puzzle trying to like figure out the syllables and everything. 
that definitely blossoms in the second verse, particularly those internal rhymes and a lot of really slipping. There's such a lyrical rhythm to it as well, you know. Thanks. There's a little Kevin Morby shout out. The album City Music is. Oh, okay, for sure. In there, <laughs> randomly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so like, this song is just random. Like, it's like just a lot of stuff. Yeah. A day in the life of mollusk. How long did it exist in its original, i.e., slower iteration before it became this? About three years, I think. Probably a cup, a few months ago, I was sending this project to friends, getting feedback. My friend Tommy, who I met in high school, who's been a long time friend of mine, I often bounce ideas off of him. And he has really good taste in music and like likes a lot of current music. So when I sent him this project, he was like really excited about it in mm. a way that I was like, oh, cool. Like you really like what I'm doing now. That's awesome. And he gave me a lot of feedback and mixing notes. And a few other friends heard this song and they were like, I don't know if this fits on the project. Like maybe it should be a lot faster. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I've been working on this for like three years. Like it's set. Like how am I going to change this fucking thing? Jesus. But then I got to this place where I felt like the slow version. I was like, this isn't right. Ah." I don't know if you ever felt like that where you work on something for so long and you're just like, it's still not working. Oh, yeah. So I was having some conversation with Tommy and he was like, how fast is it? Because he dabbles in music. And I was like, oh, it's at 104 or whatever. And he was like, try 128. And I was like, put on my pretentious hat. And I was like, well, that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> and then, um, and so I exported the mix. Yeah. And then imported it into another Logic file and then used Logic's flex time. They have a couple different algorithms. I think this was the FX one where it, it pitches up as it speeds up. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't create any artifacts. It's not trying to like stay in the same key. Right. And it just sounded like the so wild. And it just like tickled me to like find this new energy in something that I'd been working on for so long. That was like, it just made it all the more bonkers and it made yeah. it just a little bit more urgent. Yeah. And all the stuff I had crafted rhythmically was just like, firing away and it didn't feel like this lag in the album it felt like it just like went and so i was like wow this is great like i'm gonna keep it this way it's Um, so it's so wild that it's literally just like you didn't piece it apart and increase it bit by bit or increase each track or each stem or whatever you literally just bounced the whole thing and we're just like ramp it up just just turn that dial up and now it's not really in a key that you can play on on the piano it's like between keys which that makes me smile too that it's like its own weird harmonic thing are, are you a jacob collier fan yeah i haven't listened to it a, him a lot i end up watching a lot of videos of him like yeah. classes that he teaches and live performances um, that that was sort of my doorway into him as well yeah and a lot of a lot of the time i mean he is undeniably a musical genius right like absolute yeah. virtuoso crazy a lot of the times on the records i will say i'm like i think you're doing too much you know like <laughs> maybe maybe step off the the gas a little bit yeah but if you haven't listened to jesse volume three his most recent that has been my favorite project of his by far because cool. it's the sort of sonic universe that he's experimenting in and that one is uh, a very uh, minimal one and a very spacious one and one that's dealing a lot more in, in electronic textures. And anyways, my point being, cause he, he doesn't necessarily have to adhere to, you know, key pitches <laughs> all the time. So he does a lot of stuff like between semitones, you know, yeah. and to record right. whole projects like that is is just bonkers to me. Yeah, But it is, there's something to be said, even though it's, not discernible to a human ear if something is in a key that is between any key that we would typically hear on a recording like i think on some so some subconscious level our brains process that you know yeah yeah i think that's probably true i've noticed some sophie songs are like that yeah where at the end i mean i don't know how that's done Uh, maybe it was done similar to me where like you have a mix and you feel like oh this could just be a little faster so then you yeah bump it up but yeah there's definitely a cool special vibe to that and you hear that a lot in older music that was recorded on tape too 
Mm. Um, yeah. Sometimes that stuff ends up being between cues because they change the tape speed or something. Right. Can we hear a little bit of that slower space? Yeah, here it is. like a full minute longer right almost yeah (laughs) which is another reason i was happy about speeding it up was just it happened so much faster and i've was i've been really thinking about the sequencing of this record and like wanting it to be a tight listen yeah i mean it it used to sound a lot different it went through so many iterations i had my friend brandon who plays drums on a few songs on the record played a lot more on this they ended up taking out because it just didn't work at the higher tempo yeah but yeah, it's hilarious to me to listen to it now because it now it sounds like I slowed it down. Like that doesn't sure. feel like the original. I mean, it's 
both of these tunes work in their own right. Yeah. They are just astoundingly different listening experiences, even yeah. though they have all the same bones. And on the slower version, as soon as the groove starts, you're like, okay, this is where this song lives. Like this mm -hmm. feels really natural. This feels really groovy. Mm -hmm. Not that this the faster version doesn't have that same natural feel, but in the faster version, when you get to the all night, feel all right, love when you put it on really tight, I feel like yeah. that's when my brain clicks into the song and says, oh, yeah. this is where this song belongs, right? right? The song has built up to this point. Whereas yeah. in the slower version, that same verse feels like a departure. It's sure. just, it's crazy how this... I mean, it's not a small change. It's a pretty dramatic change, but yeah. just changing one component of the tune can really flip the whole thing on its head like that. For sure. I mean, there is something natural about the slow version and then something unnatural about speeding it up. Like yeah. maybe someone wouldn't physically play that same swung kind of groove yeah. in a bass line like at that tempo or something. So yeah. I do like having that unnatural thing. And I like what it did to the my voice too. I like my voice to sound all different types of ways on on projects, mm -hmm. um, but I think like we do like high voices as a as a world. Like I mean, yeah. I love my low voiced people. Like I love pop singers and rock singers with low vocals. But like if you look at like the hit songs, it's a lot of people with high voices because I think they just like hit us somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just yeah I liked how that ended up too that it pitched it up totally i i've spent most of my adult life denying the fact that i'm probably not a tenor anymore <laughs> and i've never had a voice teacher just tell me outright that i am or i'm not so i feel like my whole 20s was spent in like this total vocal identity crisis yeah it, it because yeah because there is some subconscious hierarchy like i mean there are so many like beautifully low voiced people on this earth and, you know, yeah. some of the best vocalists on, on the earth have low voices. But yeah, there's something in like, I don't know, the something in the delivery of a high voice in the in the pop and rock modicum that that just yeah, that seems to be what it leans into. So yeah. I hear you. The two notes that I made on the slower version are easier vibes. It's just like a, a more loungy, luxurious tune. Yeah. And that your voice sounds more like Grant Carey. Yeah. And I think it comes from too, like maybe you've experienced this making music here on your own, like in a computer, like sometimes you just, you pick a tempo at the beginning of the process. And like, I'm finding now, sometimes that isn't always the tempo that the song should live at, or maybe it should change. So I've been trying to open up more to that idea too. It's so important to not be precious about it. Like you did with this tune, like, it exists for so long in one form and to have the openness to to completely pivot is really important. I went through a period of time when I was trying to decide. I have a, both Ableton and Logic. I really wanted to use Ableton because oh, we talked about this a little bit, actually. I, yeah, I, I like DM'd did, you yeah. and I was like, help. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, Ableton is like super trendy. And like, so I really wanted to try and use it. But I ended up always going back to Logic just because I feel like it has more of an organic feel to it as far as freedom of tempo and things that you can sort of bend and manipulate in much less of a binary way, you know? Yeah. I would like to actually dive into Ableton more. The, the stuff that I've made on Ableton, I don't know if I fully figured out how to use it correctly, yeah, but right. it was like, it seemed like you could have a bunch of different ideas and then you'd almost like record yourself arranging it in real time like that's what i was doing i was like oh play that and yep. then take that out and da -da -da. it was a different experience although logic um, logic has now integrated that into its into its interface with the live loops yeah right? i think so yeah i haven't broken into that yet Me um, neither. but as a person that came from pro tools logic was like a lot more fun and creative yeah especially with electronic music and like able to use midi easily and yeah all that stuff. So yeah, I've been enjoying my time with Logic for sure. Well, any thoughts on SpaceX before we uh, before we move on? I don't think so. It's a great tune, Grant. Thanks. It grooves. Oh, I I mentioned last episode that I that I would love to talk about lobby music. Mm, yeah. 
this song feels like it it has the same sort of spiritual energy as Rainbow Sugar, as far as really tapping into a sort of viscerally euphoric, anthemic pop formula. Yeah, I think both projects, Lobby Music and this, came from that mollusk um, okay. persona place. So yeah, that definitely. Definitely was trying to step into expressing and using music in new ways for me you know definitely not new ways really but yeah new ways for me as far as yeah those pop forms and you know trying to surprise people and myself <laughs> and yeah. yeah like we talked about a lot last time just having having fun well i feel like what what really stunned me with with lobby music is I'm, I'm going to talk theater shop here. So uh, listeners, if that sort of thing does, makes you roll your eyes, then I don't know, you have the pause button right in front of you, right? But, you know, we both have a similar background in in going through yep. a, a college program that deals largely in storytelling and all these different ways and approaches and formulas. And I mean, I know that music always sets out to create a sonic universe for itself. And that's one of the beautiful things about music. But for lobby music, it seemed so deliberate. Oh, with the first notes of that album, we're like stepping into this this world, and there's so much sonic painting. There's so much world building within it, mm. and it was such a fun experiment for me in that sense. Um, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, comes this fucking pop rager, you know, with Rainbow Sugar. <laughs> and it's like, where did this come from? But it totally belongs in the project. Yeah. And so, so I, I guess I'm just curious how you feel like that, how you feel like the lobby music experience has informed how you approach music now, if it has informed it at all. Yeah, I think it was like the first step into this realm that, that we're talking about. And yeah, I... I'm trying to think if I was working on this in 2018, I probably came out as queer to my family around then and like publicly. Mm -hmm. I think I was about 26, 27 when I did. And yeah. I'm 30 now. I mean, a lot of my friends had known since like going back to high school, but it wasn't something that it was all like internal. It wasn't something that I was exploring externally in my expression or, or in my music or even in the stuff I was listening to. So I think part of me wanting to come out, even though I'm in this maybe heterosexual passing relationship, which was a big part of a tricky, the tri a tricky part of communicating this with some people in my life was yeah. because I started writing these things and because I wanted to step into that part of myself IRL, you know, yeah. um, and just wanted to, uh, yeah, help my family and other people in my life un understand that. But also just for me to not feel that I was keeping anything in or, you know, that everything was out mm -hmm. in the open. And you said that you had friends who knew this about you, but uh, tracing back to high school days. Yeah. Had, had you known this about yourself for that long? Yeah. But I think it was a journey of like, feeling confident and, and comfortable mm -hmm. about it. It was a journey figuring out the language to describe it. You know, like the word queer with our generation, a lot of people understand what it means. I use the word bisexual to describe my identity to folks who maybe don't have that same connotation, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the word queer has undergone, I would say such a social transformation in our lifetime, yeah. I think. For sure. And I think like it embraces the in inexplainable or the, it's not a gray area, it's a very colorful area. It, it, yeah. it embraces the <laughs> vagueness or the spectrum, you know, the bendable nature of all that. And, and so that's something I really feel and, and relate to. So when I started to like understand that, I was like, oh, you know, this is, that's totally me. But yeah, it was definitely a journey of, of getting to that spot. Even though I knew it, it, it was a journey. Yeah, feeling comfortable and being able to 
understand it fully and kind of own it or want to open up about it. Yeah. Did you chat? Did you use music to to channel any of this processing, any of this emotional processing, or any part of this journey? Or what what role did the music that you were creating play in that? So this takes me back to a track on the very first Summer Underground album. It's called Dancer. And when we were writing it, I was writing this story and I wanted to sing it from a different perspective and use he, him pronouns as like the object of my affection or whatever. I can't really Mm -hmm. remember. I think I referenced like my boyfriend or something in the song. And it was kind of a made up story or I was singing from a place of someone I knew or something like that. But I also like appreciate, I liked the queerness of it at the Mm -hmm. time, even though I wasn't like fully aware or able to explain that because when my, my mom first heard it and my parents are super loving and supportive and, you know, had questions when I came out, but it's all good and they're Mm -hmm. awesome. But back in 2011, when that came out, it really hit them. It hit my mom hard, not because she was worried because she wondered if there was something I wasn't telling them or comfortable enough to tell them. And there totally was. And I think I lied and I was like, no, it's just this other thing because I wasn't there yet Mm -hmm. to be able to say like, yeah, so this is what's happening, you know? And yeah, I've definitely edited myself along the way here and there, which isn't a great feeling. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of the first lyrics on Don't Hide is sometimes I feel like I'm running out of time, which is maybe a little melodramatic because I'm only 30 and it's all good, but... But Jesus, this is a rite of passage into 30s, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I have been thinking about that recently and a song like SpaceX trying to throw any inhibition away and just like, you know, not edit. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's this Future Fright and Lobby Music and like putting out Boys Have Curves 2 and a lot of what I'm up to now is exploring those things in my music that I'm finally like ready to explore and dig into and have fun with that um, I wasn't so much or that was more under the surface maybe of older projects. And now it's kind of like, here it is. Here it is. Does the music that you now create hit differently, satisfy in a way that it didn't before? Do you feel a difference in your output now that you are out and now that there isn't this level of self-editing and filtration and holding back? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it feels good. Yeah. Um, That's all you can ask for sometimes. Feels good. Try, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's hard because it's like, I don't know how conscious all of this stuff is. It is and it isn't. But yeah, looking back on the past couple years, yeah, I'm I'm happy with happy with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, we're let's take a little break before cool. we move on to Bend. Awesome. But before we do, I want to introduce an idea that I will revisit for our closing of this episode. Mm. Okay, cool. because I want to yeah. give you a chance to think about it because right it can be kind of blindsiding if you are at all indecisive, like myself. <laughs> So <laughs> so the other day, I'm on a, a text thread with a bunch of friends back in Oregon. And while I was at work and super busy and couldn't check my phone, I missed like 200 text messages in that text thread, mm-hmm. wherein they had all decided to make a Spotify playlist with our favorite songs of all time we get one favorite song of all time. Oh my God. And they had all made their choices. And so I opened up my phone to like, Trevor, you're up, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, I can't catch up on 200 text messages. I'm at work and I'm busy. <laughs> Secondly, I was not given an opportunity to defend myself because I think that this <laughs> question is absolutely absurd and, and yeah. ridiculous on its face. <laughs> I think that choosing a single favorite song is an impossibility. Yeah. That said, I had to do it. So I pose to you, Grant. Oof. If you <laughs> if you 
okay, I hate the term gun to your head, but high stakes situation where you yeah. have to choose a favorite song. I just want to put that idea in your head. Think about it. And we'll revisit this topic at the end of our episode today. Cool. Cool. Sounds right. good. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> Take a little break and then we'll be back with Bend. If you're a creator in any capacity, come and be a part of the Imposter Radio Network family. Take a visit to our home base at impradio.net to see what we're all about and send us a DM at imposter underscore radio or an email at imp.radiobk at gmail.com to be a part of the conversation. Now, back to the show. Speaking of cool things, <laughs> let's move on to the next track. Yeah, cool. Give us the little, give us the lowdown. What's this track all about? This track's called Bend, and it wasn't part of the original Logic sketch session that we've been talking so much about. It was one of three late editions. I probably got this together in like February. I sometimes okay. do that at the end of a, a getting ready to put out a record. I want like to throw something fresh in there, especially with five of these songs having been around for, you know, I've been working on them for a few years. Mm -hmm. This song, actually, I have, <laughs> I was lying around for years, but in no recorded version. Um, basically, I kind of felt like I wanted some kind of song between SpaceX and Way Out that got us from this fun, sexy jam to Way Out is kind of about like, getting out of this dark depressed state yeah and then finding some light um so as i was listening to the record i was like oh this is a pretty hard turn from like do you want to <laughs> fuck to like i've been looking for a way out of this dark and lonely place like hmm. yeah so i started thinking where what do i have any songs that could bridge that gap and i think i wrote this song maybe in idaho a few years ago mm-hmm and I just, I've had that, these chords and the lyrics for a long time and felt like, you know, it starts with smell of smoking wood, late remaining light, taste of you, still on my lips, kind of has, you know, this afterglow vibe of SpaceX. And then it kind of goes into this more thoughtful internal place of yearning and, you know, this relationship. So I was like, oh yeah, this could be a perfect kind of bridge between these two songs all these lyrics already existed it, yeah it, it was a full piece yeah i for the most part maybe they were kind of broken up or maybe sitting down to make this song helped me put some stuff together and then again my friend tommy was listening to it a demo of it and the choruses were probably a lot cleaner. You make me want to bend the chorus, you make me want to fuck the beat up. And he was like, well, you have to like do some shit on those words, right? And I was like, yeah, you're right. Then the song really came alive. And I think I was working on it um, right around the time Sophie died. Mm. And that I got, I was so struck and sad by her death and was so bummed by that. It, yeah, it was a really shocking, uh, that, that, that one yeah. hit hard. Just not right. Just like way yeah. too random and bizarre freak accident. And like, talk about, we were talking about how it's hard to make original things. Like that's one of those few people who like is a true pioneer who like was the Absolutely. first to like make shit sound like that. Um, mm -hmm. so I was in that headspace of like being inspired by Sophie's work and kind of trying to go for it in a production sense. So there's a little drum sound at the end during the last chorus that's a little homage to Sophie the kind of these metallic beat up drums over the um you make me want to fuck the beat up yeah um so yeah she was in my in my head as I was wrapping up the production on this track cool well let's listen to it cool Simple thing. 
to tommy man because uh <laughs> i mean i even had this in my original notes for this song that it just it feels so even though that's a strangely jarring moment it both both times it ha- occurs in this song it's just how it has to be <laughs> and it is working so well in tandem with the lyrics and it it drops the as we spoke of with space sex this dichotomy between what a song is building up to and then where the song lives, right? Mm. I feel like once that beat drops, you make me want to learn to love myself like I love you. That feels like whether or not that was the original thesis of this tune, that beat creates a structure around that idea. Yeah, It allows the song to drop into its universe you know and then the verses then become these sort of tangential stream of thought they're very uh visceral and text painting and and definitely follow um, a stream of thought to the final idea It, it just creates a really lovely structure to the tune thank you yeah 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 i think i like i had that chorus written down in a notes app but yeah it never came alive until like that I made that production choice and found that beat fuck up to support it. Um, so yeah, that, that was fun to find this song, a home on this record kind of late in the game. It fits so well. It's another happy accident. It seems like harmonically too, though, with the fuck the beat up or melodically, I suppose, like did the melody change at all when you incorporated the beat into it? Or is that how it existed? Fuck the beat up. Hmm. Yeah, it's a weird note, isn't it? It's a little half step thing. Um, yeah, in it, in and of itself, like the melody is also it also creates sort of a jarring effect. Yeah, that is not expected based on what we have heard in the minute or so leading up to that moment. Yeah, yeah, I kind of forgot about that, but that's true. I think I found that in producing and recording the song. Um, I definitely had those lyrics, but those weren't as fully formed as the verses. The verses and the, that melody and those chords was definitely something I had mm-hmm. lying around. And I think maybe I ended up writing Make Me Want to Learn to Love Myself Like I Love You during the production process. That was something I stumbled upon about. Yeah, this idea of finding yourself in a situation where maybe you're giving more love to someone else than than yourself or something, you know. The regarding the beginning of the tune, you it comes in with this very somber bouncing piano chords. Bouncing is certainly not the energy about them, but you know, just single simple quarter note piano chords. Yeah. And then you have this crazy, I believe the vocal sample is called uh vocal crystals. Yeah. Yeah. So can you play that Vox Crystals? Yeah. So like what, how? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> how do you listen to a, a very simple quarter note piano phrase? And what's the process in thinking something is missing here or this could use something in addition and then landing on that? <laughs> yeah, so this is another shout out 
to my friend Tommy Hoffman moment. Yeah, we got to get Tommy on here. Let's talk to we, Tommy. We could actually. He would love it. Um, yeah, he had heard this project before some of these late songs I added. And I was worried. I was like, is he going to think this is like too somber and like random to throw mm-hmm. in to the middle of the record? But he was like, I love it. But like, I feel like you need this and this and that. And this was a specific idea he had of like, I think we were referencing, we were thinking about Frank Ocean and maybe stuff specifically on Blonde where there's like a textural ambient like vocal sample that's just like making a lot of, yeah, building that world, making a lot of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of suggested this idea of a atmospheric vocal thing. And I went to my Sound Toys plugins and I probably pulled a little slice of me singing from somewhere in the song and then used mostly the Crystallizer plugin which is super fun. Super fun. It can really stumble onto like unexpected stuff, which is always fun with plugins to be able to like, it's cool to dial in exactly what you want. And then it's also cool. The sound toys plugins especially are so creative and you can just like stumble upon these really wild sounds. And the crystallizer is a delay and it's a pitch shift. So it pitches it up like 12 steps. And I find that because I don't, I haven't really spent enough time recording music to know exactly like similar to like what Chrissy was saying last week where she's like I know what I want this to sound like or I know the feeling I want this to evoke but I don't exactly know how to get there that resonates a lot with me and that sound toys bundle is the greatest tool for that yeah (laughs) and it's also sort of a blessing and a curse that all of the plugins are not necessarily named according to what they actually do like some right. of them are like there's the little plate, which you're like, OK, that's obviously a plate reverb. But a lot of them like take some knowledge to know based on what they're called, what they're going to do to the sound. And so a lot of times yeah. I'm just like, I'll just throw this on there. I have no clue what it's going to do or what it's going to sound like. Uh, and it creates a lot of very fun and unexpected exploration. Yeah, for sure. I was glad I stumbled upon that. I think it comes yeah. in. Maybe there's like eight eight bars of piano, and I think it's a common production idea, maybe from pop music, where like some people like that every four bars or something, there's something new for your ear to yeah. chew on, something delicious. And so that happens on the second half of the intro, and then there's a little tape stop wind down effect at the end that goes, mm-hmm. which kind of sets you up for the vocal. That's like stuff that I like to do nowadays is try and make these little sounds that kind of help the listener look where they're supposed to look, you know, maybe like a director might think um, on stage or film, you know, these little sounds to kind of guide the experience a little bit. Are you speaking specifically of the, the bend down at the end of the phrase? Yeah, but maybe kind of the whole sound. Cause really it's just the piano and that sound, but it kind of sets you up. It dives down into the vocal. It creates a, it creates a whole arc before the, what's, making an appearance kitty. <laughs> the kitty just arrived it, clear? Um, it, it creates it, it's like it creates a little microcosm of an experience before the actual experience of the song occurs yeah 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 initially this song was a little bit more simple and you know bringing in some of the more screwed up electronic elements kind of allowed it to live in the world of the album yeah while still retaining this kind of me at the piano vibe which I like having, especially to balance out something like SpaceX, where it's my voice is super affected. Mm-hmm. I like having that balance of like a little bit more of a natural moment. Yeah, totally. And as a listener, I mentioned before that one of the notes that I took on the slower version of SpaceX was that your voice sounds so much more like you. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was an incredibly... I mean, your voice is gorgeous and, and it's really nice to listen to. And especially Thanks. like against the, the original groove of that song, I was like, this is so pleasing to me <laughs> to hear Grant singing over this tune hmm. as opposed to some some other pitched and strange and otherworldly being. Although again, that is also, it's just, again, two different experiences. Yeah. And so I love that whether or not it was conscious, you also clocked that and did something a little more bare and a little more exposed and a little more yeah. Grant immediately yeah. following. Thanks. Yeah, I think that was conscious as I was getting closer to 
finishing up the album and feeling how the sequence was working. It wanted something like this. Yeah. What is this um, this vocal chordizer? Can you explain mm. this to me? Yeah. Um, Can you play it first? Sure. Here it is. Sounds like something you'd hear in like a haunted fun mirror house or something. <laughs> I know. It kind of sounds like an animal like sighing. Yeah. Yeah. This happens maybe in the first verse, second half of the first verse or something. Yeah, I and was it's... trying to find it. Uh, and I don't know if uh, it was a like a quality sound quality issue on my end versus yours w- uh, during this playback, but I couldn't quite hear it. Or is it is it buried? Yeah, it definitely blends in with the piano i think in verse one in the, in the okay. second half of it um i could try to find it should i yeah let's do it why not let me turn it down because these masters are so loud okay. a taste of you still on my lips fear of leaving nevertheless maybe it's happening here keep you in my life only you can barely hear it but yeah it's over that section when you listen if you were to listen maybe on yeah on your end you could hear it but yeah i think it's it's mimicking what the piano is doing and it's just it's kind of it's a detuned sound but what it is is this logic instrument that i made in the sampler of my voice some vowel i sang somewhere and then it Mm -hmm. maps it out onto the keyboard then i can kind of play my voice like a instrument chord chordizer that's what it's called i guess in my in my files um yeah and then i added that panning delay detuned thing Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it just kind of detunes and warbles the general vibe and then the 808 ast claps of course we've got always got to have our our drum and bass (laughs) section yeah hear that real quick for sure So when you're thinking about percussion, where does that, I mean, I'm sure this is a case by case scenario as well, but like, where does the rhythm section and the percussion factor into the songwriting or the production process and how does it do so in terms of like, when you're like, okay, it's time for drums, does your brain just start sequencing or how does, how do you approach this? Yeah, I think it depends. A lot of times I start out, yeah, sequencing, Mm -hmm. sketching out a drum beat really early on. Like a lot of these songs started with me playing on my keyboard and then like maybe going in there and editing it more specifically. Mm -hmm. With that little sound, the Ace T, I guess it's called, it must be, I'm not sure what it's an emulation of, but I have this instrument MIDI library called beatbox anthology i believe by uvi and it has tons like maybe every drum machine ever created as as samples so i really like playing with that yeah but yeah i played that first part and then added a bunch of delay because that's the fuck the beat up moment the first one and then you know using an 808 sample as a baseline is a super common thing nowadays in pop music yeah so I like having fun trying to speak the same language as the kids, as the cool kids. Um, so there's that in here. And then I think I there's a clap sample, but then I'm also clapping along in in real life to give yeah. it a little bit of a acoustic campfire feel. Sure. You know, sometimes fake drums sound really good and sometimes they don't. And... I've probably put out stuff where they don't sound great. I've been on like on a journey of how do you get electronic drums sounding really good? Um, yeah. Which is still tricky, but yeah, it's also fun to play real drums or get someone to get a, like a real drummer playing drums. is like one of the best things. And we got to hear the fucked up drums, right? Yeah. Yeah. So these are the drums over the second chorus. The last yeah. time I say, make me want to fuck the beat up. <laughs> 
gnarly. <laughs> That's quick. So, and these are the ones that you said were specifically you had Sophie in mind, right? Yeah, I think I might have made made that little part on the day or the day after she passed. It was. Can can you real quick talk through how you process those sounds? Because they are. I mean, it makes sense that they were made with Sophie sort of somewhere in the background of the brain because they do sound like they come from another planet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, talk us through that. I think I pulled a kick and a snare sample from some loop that I had on my computer, mm -hmm. some acoustic drum kit loop. And then I took a picture of this actually when I was exporting these stems today to see what it's running through. So this is Sound Toys again. Uh -huh. It starts by going through a Echo Boy uh -huh. with a 3.4 millisecond delay with the saturation turned all the way up. Then it goes through the Devil Lock Audio Destroyer, which is a heavy, heavy distortion situation with the crush knob is all the way at 10. Yeah. There's crunch and the mix is at mix knobs at six. And then there's Primal Tap. Uh -huh. which is another delay plugin, which has a preset called Rezonate, R-E-Z-O-N-A-T-E, that I found a while ago that sounds, that's what gives it that metallic slap sound. Yeah. That sounds like, it makes things sound like you're crushing the audio in like a huge warehouse or something. It sounds really wild on vocals and drums. And then finally, it's going through the tremolator. It's, so it's pulsing on an eighth note. So that's why it kind of also has that wop wop feeling to it. Totally. That's what's up with that shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so much thought and deliberation goes in. And you know, that ex that exists for the last like 10 seconds of the song, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a quick moment. Another real little guy. This is like uh, uh, a minute 50 or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Get, but get in, get out. Get in, get out. But I mean, there's something so admirable about it. There's something very authentic about, I think I said this last week, letting a song exist for as long as it needs to and then letting it go away. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Another great tune. So well-structured as far as like you were talking about before, the transition from one world into another right in the middle of this album. I'm excited cool. to get into, into the next world so to yeah, speak. There's a lot going on sure. with those next two tracks. Yeah. Another pretty hard pivot. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you thought about the the question at hand of the uh, Grant's favorite tune? Oh my God. I totally forgot. My favorite song of all time. It's so hard. I know. So, okay. I'm going to cut you a little slack. What, <laughs> what, what I did was I was like, I don't know. I could give you like 10. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say that. But, you know, a lot of this is context, right? And so at this point, they had already made the whole playlist. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll look at, at what everyone else has contributed so far and I'll get mm -hmm. a feel for it. And that'll sort of dictate how I contribute to this conversation. So you don't have that luxury. So how, how about a, a few, a top few? In this exact moment, we're not holding you to, you know, this doesn't define Grant Carey, the artist. <laughs> but in this moment, what do you say? Um, one song that comes to mind when you first asked me is the song Gospel by The National, which okay. is the last song on their album Boxer. Mm -hmm. And talk about like low voices. When I heard Matt Berninger's voice, I was like, oh my God, like you can have a low voice <laughs> right. and like make rock music and gospel is a, is one of the most like acoustic um, chiller songs on the record. And the lyrics are like, let me come over. I can waste your time. I'm bored. And it's just like this really beautiful, simple picture of, of a relationship. Um, mm -hmm. That's definitely up there. Ooh, what else? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I could go on like all day. So it's like hard to pick. Yeah, I um, hear you. I'll let you off the hook. I may revisit this. Yeah, I can keep thinking about it. How, what do you think that uh, Matt Berninger solo album that came out this year? Or I guess it was last year at this point, a few months back. I still need to dig into it. Yeah. I only know a couple songs from it. What's the one, One More Second? 
That's a cool one. Is that what it's called? I don't know. One more. <laughs> I gave it a couple listens and I, I quite enjoyed it, but I haven't revisited it since. I did really like his um, his project Elvi. I don't know that one. That? He did another, it was like a duo record with, I forget the guy's name, but that was pretty fun. There was like a lot of funny lyrics on that. Interesting mm. production. Cool. Well, Grant, thanks for chatting. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great episode two. Yeah. Uh, halfway home, baby. All right. Awesome. All right, y'all. Take care. We'll see ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the Tracks. Quick reminder, if you haven't listened to Grant's new album yet, definitely do so now. If you have listened to Grant's new album, definitely do so again. And of course, do all that stuff you're supposed to do with podcasts. Like, rate, review, subscribe, and submit the music of yourself or somebody you know to be a part of Beyond the Tracks. I will not rest until I've spoken with every independent artist in the universe. Until next week, take it easy.